This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for June 12th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today we come to Pentecost. If you remember last week, we celebrated the, the Feast of the Ascension when we talked about how Jesus carried our human nature itself up into the Godhead, up into God himself, so that God's nature is now both human and divine in the holy and blessed Trinity. All of that exists in one co-eternal existence, both human nature and the nature of God himself, because Jesus was both God and man. And we talked about how that enables us to participate in the life of God because he has not only um, taken our human nature into heaven, but he's also given us his divine nature to share. And that's what really Pentecost is all about. It's about the gift of the Spirit. And had Pentecost not come, we would not be able to share in that salvation. We would not be able to share in his immortality in his life. We would still be left with only one nature, which would be mortal and finite. But because Pentecost has come, everything has now changed. You remember back um, early on, I think we read it the Easter Sunday, uh, where Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and she finally uh, sees Jesus, who she thought was a gardener. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. The reason she said that was because of this. Until he ascended to the Father and carried with him our human nature, then our salvation could not be complete because we could not participate in his divine nature. Jesus, in this work that he has done, has changed the world. He has changed the very nature of creation itself because he has brought God into its midst. Now, 10 days after he had ascended, the disciples were in the upper room, and uh, it must have been an interesting 10 days as they were waiting. And it says that the Holy Spirit suddenly descended on them like tongues of fire. Now, earlier in the Gospels, we see this imagery of the Holy Spirit descending again. Do you remember what that was? The baptism? Yeah, and it was a dove. A dove plummets, you know, straight down, just like a, a dead fall toward the water. And, and it's aimed almost at something. Fire, tongues of fire, it's almost like there are these little trickling drops of flame just falling all over the place. Why is that significant and different? Well, part of it has to do with the fact that there are more people there. But part of it has to do with the nature of fire itself. What would you do if suddenly tongues of fire, little flames like these candles, start falling from the ceiling on you? Stop, drop, and roll. Stop, stop <laughs> drop, and roll. <laughs> Might not be a bad idea, actually. But <clears throat> I didn't plan that. Um, It would cause you to do something, though, wouldn't it? Why? Fear? 
What are you afraid of? Why? It hurts. It, it, if it touches you, you're going to have to react, aren't you? I mean, you're going to have to respond to it. Fire has so many properties. It is consuming. It is um, energy to do things. It compels you to move forward. Now, that's one of the keys that we see of the Spirit is this sort of pushing or this effect that it has on people. You remember after Jesus had received the Spirit in uh, the Jordan River, he was immediately driven into the wilderness. You can almost see the Holy Spirit pulling up in his Thunderbird and Jesus hopping in and off to go into the desert. I mean, he didn't say, oh, I'd like to go to the desert. I think I want to go pray and fast for 40 days and be good for my spiritual well-being. I mean, he was driven. He had to go. And the same thing happens to the disciples on this Sunday. They have to leave that locked room. They have to go out into the streets. Now, I want to tell you something. This is very serious. There are a lot of people who are proof texting this and saying, see, it proves that the original disciples were not Anglicans. Because you would never get a bunch of Anglicans to go straight out of church and start preaching to everybody on the street. Now, I think that says more about us than it says about the apostles. Because I think somewhere or other we've lost that fervor, that, that compelling drive to tell them. They had to tell people. And so they did. They were out in the street, and, and they were excited. If, if fire was falling on you, you'd be excited too, wouldn't you? But they were suddenly, God had given them something that had changed them. His spirit had been planted in them and had been combined. It, it didn't um, do away with their human spirit. Instead, now they had two natures, a human nature and a divine nature, a God nature. Just as Jesus was God, man, now we, the disciples, can be man, God. We can share in the two natures of Christ because of the gift of Pentecost. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that happens and, and then what difference that makes in a moment. But I want to get back to what, what the effects of it were on the disciples. It said they were so excited, they, they were telling everybody. Now this is in the midst of them worrying about people coming and arresting them. That's why they had the doors locked. And, and as they were telling them, they probably spoke in Hebrew or Aramaic. And, and as they're telling everybody, suddenly, I mean, because Jerusalem's a big place, and a lot of people come from all over the world, and they're saying, how is this? You know, you know they're speaking, you know, Pamphylian. I didn't know they knew Pamphylian. You know, that someone said, no, they're speaking Latin. Well, no, they're, they're speaking Greek. Well, no, you know, they're speaking Cretan. All of them heard what was being said in their own language. Every single one of them heard what was being said in their own language. And, and suddenly we begin to see how something has changed in the nature of the creation. You recall um, a story that's the opposite effect in the Old Testament? The Tower of Babel, yeah. Remember how people wanted to build a, a stairway into heaven? They wanted to attain that through their own efforts and works, and so God confused them so that they all spoke different languages and they couldn't cooperate with one another. Suddenly in the spirit, that's been reversed. It's been changed. It no longer even matters what language you're speaking. The people who are hearing it hear it in their own language. It is just automatic. 
It just happens. It's almost like Star Trek's Universal Translator. It just works. Now, some people were very excited about this and were amazed at what was going on. And, and when they heard about this good news of, of this gift of God's Spirit that could be upon all flesh, remember, that's what Joel had prophesied. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And their young men shall have visions, and their old men shall dream dreams. You know, no longer is it, is it going to be a special person who gets to be a prophet. Now we will all be in instant and constant contact with God because he lives in us. And so some people immediately were converted and came to Christ, thousands that day. The other group said, oh, come on, these guys are wacky. they got to be drunk. And Peter, being Peter, just because you get the Spirit doesn't mean that you lose all your nature, by the way. But um, Peter says... We couldn't be drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Which I thought, they didn't really grow up in the neighborhood I grew up in. <laughs> that was quite possible where I was. But, but, you know, they thought, this is crazy. It doesn't make sense. It still provoked a response, though. And those small group of people who had received this changed the world. Now, they didn't change it in reality. It was the Spirit's movement that changed it. So how do we have this? Well, we, we see that later in Acts. They go out, proclaim this good news to other people, and other people say, well, we were baptized, but I don't know the Spirit thing you're talking about. What are you talking about the Holy Spirit? What's that, what's that all about? And what they realized was they had been baptized for repentance. They'd been baptized to be forgiven of their sin. John the Baptist did that. But being given the gift of God's divine spirit itself to live in me forever? I don't know what you mean. And so it said they laid hands on them and they prayed for them and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, today we still experience that. That's why we do baptisms. You see, in baptism, it's not so much about what we do as it is about what God does. What we do comes afterwards. The part that God does in baptism is he says, if you will pour water in my name on them, they will come to be baptized, I will give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. I will plant my Holy Spirit in their, we say, hearts, uh, their very being would probably be a good way of putting it. And, and it's almost like he bonds God's spirit to our human spirit so that we become like Christ. We have two natures. We are both human and divine. So, why don't we all act like it? That's where the struggle comes in, isn't it? Well, part of it is that the fact that we have two natures, we don't have one nature, by the way. He didn't do away with our human nature. He didn't do away with our free will. He didn't, you know, you know overcome and, and sort of surround the human nature and lock it up in a cage. He chose to live with it in combination. And we still get to choose. And ultimately, we will not die because we have God's immortal spirit within us. It is attached to us forever. And because of that, we can then live forever. Except, always that escape clause, you know what I'm saying? 
There's only one thing that you could ever do that God could not possibly forgive you of. Anybody know what that is? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what is blasphemy? Is that saying cuss words of the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't it be nice if that was, if that was easy? Then we could go, I've never done that. So I'm in like Lent. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is really sort of a rejection of the Spirit. Now, that, that could be done in a very demonstrative and, and active kind of way. I mean, I remember it was a year or two ago, they had the Atheist Association got together and they had a de-baptism ritual, which I really thought was odd because if you don't believe that there's a God, why do you need to have a de-baptism? But, um, but what they did was they had hairdryers. It was at the Everill Barn in Westerville, and they had invited people out, and people who wanted to be de-baptized went under a hairdryer. I didn't say it made sense. I just said they did it. And what scared me about that, honestly, was that I thought, this is a very active, I mean, you have to go there. You have to choose to do it. You have to choose to participate. And what you were saying is, I do not want God's spirit. That's a very active way of doing it. Now, for most of us, because we're here, we go, oh, good, I haven't done that. But I suspect that most people don't blaspheme against the Spirit that way. Most of us blaspheme against the Spirit in very passive ways, in very passive-aggressive ways, but passive nonetheless, so that we could have plausible deniability. I didn't know. What we do is we have forgotten what Jesus told the disciples. In another instance where where Jesus is giving this gift of the Spirit. In John, it says, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, how did the Father send Jesus? See, that's really the trick, because he says, as, just like the Father has sent me, I now send you. So it's sort of important to know, well, what did that mean when the Father sent Jesus? Anybody know? Save sinners? Preach the word. All those things are true, but they're all sort of manifestations of a broader concept. Hmm? Reunite us with God. Think about it. If you go back in John, he says, what is it that Jesus does? He says, I do nothing but what the Father gives me to do. I say nothing but what the Father gives me to say. He says to the, you know, he's constantly praying to God, not my will, but thy will be done. It is this complete submission to an eternal and living Father who created him on earth and in his human nature and who has created us, which is the very human nature that he is attempting to bring into heaven. And so, he says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we see it throughout the Gospels. If anyone would save his life, he must what? Lose it. If anyone would follow me, they must what? First take up their cross. You know, it is only through self-denial, through allowing the head of who we are not to be us, but to be God, 
that this you know, bond of the spirit with our human spirit truly becomes a reality. Because there is a fundamental truth that we need to realize. God does not let two-year-olds drive. Did you ever think about that? I mean, I might be generous to call us two-year-olds in comparison to what God knows. But it would be like if a parent let a two-year-old say, okay, you're driving, honey. We're going to Washington State. And they got in the car. I mean, it'd be crazy, wouldn't it? God is not willing to sit in the back seat of your life. He is going to be the head. And the question is, are you willing to let him? That's that free will thing all over again. Now, headship is an important kind of thing. What is it that the head does with the body? What does, what does the head do for the rest of the body? Controls it? Sometimes not. It's not much fun then, but how does it do that? What does it tell it to do? Specific thing. Yep, tells you to move, tells it to be, tells it to hurt. How that hurts. Lets you see things, hear things. Um, process thing, you know, it helps you process food. I mean, everything that goes on, isn't it? Is controlled by the head. Could you do without your head tomorrow for the day? Could we could take down the shop and have it repaired? And, you'd be sort of out of luck, wouldn't you? Well, that's why Paul talks so much about the church being the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. And yet all too often, we're acting like a body, saying, eh, that head, I don't have time to fool with that. They want something or other, but you know, I've I got to go do this right now. You know, and there are a lot of people who unfortunately don't think with their head. But even when we say that, I'm not sure we really are thinking they don't think with their head who is Jesus, who is God, who will, even as it said, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. You see, to really live into this eternal life that he has given us, we have to still choose. Our human nature has to say, Lord, I trust you. I will do what you give me to do, and I will say what you give me to say. It's for that reason the disciples were willing to unlock those doors and go out into the, the midst of a crowd when they were afraid of being killed. It's for that reason that, that you know, people are able to face the, the death of martyrs in the Colosseum or in other places. It's for that reason that they are able to heal anybody that they encounter. It's not that somehow or other they have been given this gift. You know, one of the thing, problems with the church, I think, is that, that we either are terrified of the Holy Spirit or we, you know, wrap our arms around him and, and, and squeeze him to death as though we own him. 